Now, this morning, we're going to look at the book of Nahum. It's a very short book in the Bible. Now, you have to tell me the truth. Who has never read the book of Nahum? I want to see your hand up. Oh, you all look so spiritual. Come on. Uh-uh. Who has never heard of this book? Some of you are like, I am sure the book is not in my Bible. Never heard of it. So if you look more or less in the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Nahum. And so the Lord wants me to speak from the book of Nahum. I said, okay. I never say no. I just want to hear what he wants to say. And then I will speak. Hallelujah. And so this is a very short book. Only has three chapters. Very quick. And so the aim of my message today is twofold, to bring awareness on God's nature and God's unstoppable pursuit of humankind. Now, Nahum is the seventh of 12 minor prophets. It's not because he was shorter, okay? It's because the books are small. And the prophet Nahum is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So we don't know much about him, but we know that he ministered around the 7th uh, century BC. And the book of, of Nahum is a prophetic book that announces the downfall of one of the worst enemies of Israel, the ancient empire of Assyria and its capital city of Nineveh. Now, the Assyrians arose as one of the first great world empires, and their expansion into Israel resulted in the oppression of God's people. And the book concludes in chapter 3, it's a very short book, with the description of the actual downfall of the Assyrian empire as a whole. But this book is not just about the downfall of this empire there is a lot more going on here, and that's what we're going to look at. This book describes other facets of God's nature that I think it's important for us to know. Tell the person next, next to you, this is important. Just tell, yes. This is important, we need to know this. And so the book starts with God sending a very strong message to the people of Nineveh through his servant, Nahum. Let's have a look. Nahum 1, verses 2 and 3. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. Now, when we read a passage like this in the Bible, it is important to understand the context of what we are reading. Otherwise, we will end up with misconceptions and a distorted idea of who God is. And many people do that. You need to study the word. You need to understand what you're reading before you pick and choose a few verses and you come up with some doctrine that doesn't make any sense. That's why we study the Bible. Now, the book of Nahum addresses the cycle of human violence in every age. Our history, human history, is filled with tribes and nations elevating themselves and using violence to take what they want. Is that true? 
resulting in the death of the innocent and how God is grieved and angered by it. So, and in this book, we also find encouragement to the people of God at that time. They were experiencing firsthand the cruelty of the Assyrian Empire. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. So the first few verses in the book of Nahum describe God, the all-powerful creator, coming to confront the nations with his justice and justice on their evil. God does not allow evil empires to endure forever. Right here we are confronted with the fact that God is righteous and God is just, and that's part of his nature and character. But I was under the impression that God was always loving and good. Yes, he is good. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Matthew 5.45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the, these verses confirm the fact that God is good to all, to the just and to the unjust. Jesus died on the cross because of this, because of God's love and mercy to all of us, towards every human being. And right now we are living under a dispensation of grace. But that does not mean that God's nature has changed or his character has changed. His nature, nature and character does not change through the ages. Now that's a very comforting thought. Praise God, it does not change. Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. And so God is not moved by time, neither he adapts to human cultures. Did you realize that? Yeah. You know that? This is true. There is no such thing as the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and the God of the 21st century. Some people believe there is a God of the 21st century adapted to our own culture. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> Whoops. No. Wrong. Wrong. Our world changes, people change, but God remains the same. Although we are living in this period of divine grace, God's nature does not change. He's still holy. He's still just. Hallelujah. Now, God keeps a record of all human affairs, and when he decides it is time to set things straight, he will, because he is just. Amen. If we fail to understand this, and I think people struggle with this a lot, if we fail to understand this, we will be left with the distorted idea of who God is. God is good, but God is also righteous. Therefore, when we come across you know, passages in the Bible that talk about the final judgment, where God will judge the nations. We will not be left in shock or confused. Oh, no, how is that possible? How did that happen? No, this is what it is. God is good and God is just. He has not changed. 
Many people have issues with God's justness because they judge God according to their own finite changing standards. And if we understand this, it, everything will make much more sense. Instead of God being the standard for his own righteousness, they judge God because they use themselves or their own opinions as the standard to judge God. It doesn't work, my friends, as you know. So in our common postmodern thinking, there are no absolute standards of morality, resulting in everyone's judgments of right and wrong, whoops, I'm losing my mic, being completely up to individual interpretation. That's what's happening nowadays. And so, to speak about God's justice is a hard topic to address. It is a very hard to topic to address nowadays. But we are not doing anyone a favor if we misrepresent God. We cannot misrepresent the Lord. This is who He is. Amen. Acts 17.31 Because He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Talking about Jesus. So in God's timing, that day will eventually come. When that day comes, I will not be apprehensive, I will not be in fear, because I know who I am in Christ, and I know that Jesus is my righteousness. Hallelujah. Give thanks to God. You know who you are. Hallelujah. And so this is one of the reasons why, to be honest with you, I struggle to understand atheists. I have compassion, but I struggle to understand them. You know why? Because how do they deal with the question of evil. How do you deal with the question of evil? If I believe that there is no God, there is no moral superior being who is just, you know what that means? It means that all the evil in this world would never be brought to justice. Now, that's a very sad and scary thought. Thank God that God is good and God is just. Hallelujah. And he is real. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, have you watched the news lately? I'm sure you've watched. You know what? Most days after watching the news of what's going on around the world, I feel upset. <laughs> this is who I am. You know, I'm like that. I'm very intense. And I watch the news. And I am upset. And I say to God, and sometimes I say it out loud, you know what? This would be a very good day to end this whole thing. <laughs> and I say, how about today, Lord? The Lord has not yet answered that prayer. Aren't you glad? <laughs> oh, we are so blessed. Now, let's go back to the book of Nahum. In the first few verses, we see God telling the people of Nineveh that they were not going to get away with their evil acts. That's what's happening. But do you, you know what I find most interesting in these same verses? When we study the whole 
passage, in the proper context, we realize that the same verses also reveal other aspects of God's nature. Patience, mercy, long-suffering towards those people. If you do a little research on the Assyrian Empire, which you can do, you can do it this afternoon when you go home, you will be shocked. I, you know, the Assyrians were known to be ruthless, barbaric people. In times of war, they were so evil. The armies were so violent and destructive on a scale that the world had never seen before. You know, do you think that God was being cruel to those people? Think twice. I cannot even mention from this pulpit. I could not bring myself to speak from the pulpit the atrocities that these people did, and especially towards children, which I find very hard to deal with. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the test of the morality of a society is what it does for its children. Think about that for a moment. What is being done to the innocent in our own society? And so this is the same city of Nineveh to which Jonah was sent by God 125 years earlier. Did you know that? This is the same city, the same people. Do you remember the story? God insisted with Jonah to go to them and for them to repent of their evil because he thought they were worth saving. They were worth saving. Now, Jonah was not of the same opinion, <laughs> as you know in the story. And maybe some of you are not of the same opinion. You know, he even prayed, oh God, I know that you are merciful and compassionate. But these people, really? And so the Ninevites in the time of Jonah, they repented and turned to God. Good choice. But a few generations later, they went back to the same evil ways. And now we are in Nahum, the book of Nahum. This is where we are, 125 years later. God already knew from the beginning that in a few generations, they were just going back to their former evil ways. But he still, he still sent Jonah to them. How amazing is that? I'm so glad that the Lord did not reject the Ninevites altogether, you know, and said, they're not worth it. Why give them a chance? This is who God is. It's just amazing. And this shows us how God was being merciful and patient to those people. Look at Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God did not wait for you to get your act together before he showed mercy to you? That is fantastic. I am so thankful to Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. In fact, this story helps us understand God's mercy and goodness to all of us. His love, mercy, long-suffering are the reasons why the gospel of Jesus is still being preached today. This is the reason. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, people out there, they may ask, and sometimes they do, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need to get saved? Why? Why? Saved from what? 
Everyone will stand in the presence of God one day. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> this is a simple reason, okay? It's not just for them to have a great time in church and, you know, and meet new people and meet nice people and have a good time and go home. No, people need Jesus because they will stand in God's presence one day. This is the reason why, hallelujah, because Jesus, God is good, God is just, and that day will come. And so the entire Bible, and I I think this is fascinating, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation reveals God's love and his unstoppable pursuit of humankind. This is so amazing. God's unstoppable pursuit is to have a relationship with human beings, his own creation. He wants everyone on the face of this planet to know who he is. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what happened in their past, in your past, or what is going on right now in the present, in your present. God wants you to know who he is. Let me take you on a very short journey throughout the Bible, in a very summarized version, to show you God's heart and his unstoppable pursuit of humankind. Throughout the ages, God has used so many ways to get close to us, very close to us. First, we see God in heaven, above, and then He creates humans on earth, and he comes to fellowship with them. He walks with humans. But then something happens, and that relationship is severed. They can no longer be in the presence of a holy God. And then we see God communicating from a distance, because God does not give up on humans. He is on a pursuit. And he approaches a man called Abraham. And he calls him to follow him, and he does. He does. God makes a covenant with this man, and the nation is born, Israel. But the God of heaven comes a bit closer. And he calls another man, Moses, and he has a more intimate relationship with him. In fact, he instructs him to set up a temporary abode where his presence could abide This is fascinating. Is the God Almighty, the God of heaven, coming closer and closer to us? So we call it the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. In this specific place, God promised to meet with his people. As the Israelites live in tents, God, their king, was living in a tent amongst them. No longer above or at a distance, he was with them. Ezekiel 37, 27, my tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Then later on, during the king, uh, uh, the reign of King Solomon, a more permanent structure is built, and so we have the first temple. And so God's presence is there. It's a place for the Ark of the Covenant and a place of assembly for people. So God is no longer just in heaven, communicating at a distance, and he was now on a permanent place on earth where his presence would dwell. So, but still, people could not have access to his presence, only in special circumstances. But you know what? This was not enough 
for the Lord. And I love this about God. This was not enough. He had bigger plans, bigger plans in mind. It was not enough to have his presence dwell in a specific place. He wanted to have relationship with all people, not just a small portion of his creation. And so what about all the other nations that didn't know who he was? God did not forget about them. And so God's plan was that his own people, that little group called Israel, would follow him and be an example to the other nations around. So they would be attracted to God and find who he was, find out who he was. So looking back at our story in the book of Nahum, can you now see that what God really wanted was to get the Ninevites to turn to him? That's what he wanted. He wanted to manifest to them who he was. So God carries on his unstoppable pursuit. And at a point in time, after a period of silence, God did not communicate with anyone. Something incredible happens. And God decides that it is time for him to move closer to humans. He decided that. He wants to come closer. And there was only one way for that to happen. How? God takes on the form of a man. Jesus. Oh, my goodness. He came really closer to us. Hallelujah. I love this stuff. I just love it. The Son of Man comes on the scene. This is incredible. No longer God above, not in a temple, not in a tent, in the form of a man. So Jesus fulfills his ministry. He dies for the sins of humanity, and he is resurrected. And so from now on, everyone could have access to the presence of God. They could, you know, fantastic. Now, this should be enough, right? Not enough. So people could simply make a prayer, and they should be in good standing with God. But that's not enough for God. He keeps coming closer. I think this is amazing. So, so um, he keeps coming closer. Why? Because technically that would still be a relationship at a distance, a long distance type of relationship. Why? Because Jesus went back to the Father. And so we are back to the same position, God above, you know. What happened? He was so close to us. Listen. Before going to the cross, Jesus announced something extraordinary that I think people only understood what he said much later. John 14, 16. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Amen. Ah, even closer. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. I get too excited with this. God moved even closer. This is the most incredible thing ever. No longer God above, at a, communicating at a distance, in a tent, in the form of a man, God inside of us. Very close, very close. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Hallelujah. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not of your own? Can you please understand the intensity of God's pursuit to have a relationship with you? You always have a you know, an option to reject him in your heart. He will not force you to love him. He will not do that. God is in us. And this is my point. God is in us. But we can distance ourselves from him. And this is something that we can do. God has done everything possible to have a relationship with you. He actually, he literally moved heaven and earth <laughs> to come close to you. I think this is just amazing. Now it's time for us to move closer to him, closer to him, because you can go closer, which is something extraordinary. You can have the Holy Spirit in you and you can still go closer. How is that even possible? James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Father. You are amazing. You are amazing. You are amazing. Hallelujah. And you know, as I was preparing for the message and praying, you know, the Lord spoke to me clearly. I want you to stop at a certain point and I don't want you to say anything else because this is enough. This is what I want to say this morning. But I want you to give people an opportunity to draw closer to me to draw closer to me because we can distance ourselves from the Lord and He wants you closer. He wants you very close to His heart. Hallelujah. And so what are we going to do this morning? Something that I love to do because I know that's the place where God transforms lives and the Holy Spirit is here. You know, the best feeling, the best feeling is when I came through the doors this morning and I knew immediately the Holy Spirit is here. That's the best feeling ever. And you know that He's here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so everything is possible. Everything is possible when the Holy Spirit is here.